Oh, dude, you guys sound so money now. I was going to yeah. say, we have some strange... Oh, dude, you guys sound like milk. What? <laughs> you sound like milk, dude. Oh. Yeah, well, Rob's been pouring milk... <laughs> Milkrophone, yeah, dude. Sorry. That's the... Okay, our second podcast <laughs> is called Milkrophone. <laughs> dude, that's going to be my band name. Okay. 2 we are live. Hey, how does my sound sound? Your sound sounds soundy. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Hey, but when we're like on internship next semester and we're both away, what do we got to do then to all hear each other? Mm. We can just do what we're doing now. But one of you guys has to buy what I bought, which is like this $75 thing. Okay. And we'll um, be able to hear I, each I can other. buy it for you. No, I'll be able to hear each other. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. That'll be that'll be interesting because that'll be a foreshadowing of things to come if this podcast lasts like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. And, and we're all Dude. You're in you're in like Burma or something, whatever country we attack next. <laughs> Mike. It could be anywhere. Yep. Wait, were you yeah. talking to me? Because you're not here for eye contact, and so I'm not sure who you're actually referencing there. I'm not gonna... Yeah, I was talking to you, Mike. Okay. In the future, think... when you talk to one of us, can you like say what direction your eyes are <laughs> pointing okay. so I can know? I'll just do like radio talk, like bisque to Mike. Uh, you're going to be yep. in Burma fighting terrorists. Yep. Over. <laughs> Dude, it'll be preparing me and for when four. I'm in Burma. Yeah. Can you imagine when he's in Burma, though? we got to Skype him from there. Yeah. Is Burma a country? Is, I feel like Burma is the old name for a country that is now a different name. Hmm. You said it first, man. You I'm brought just, it up. I'm just going off of what you said. Yep. You heard it here first. Yep. And another thing. Um, no, I was just telling Rob today uh, that especially after, you know, this past couple of affirming kind of nods we've gotten from different people, I really honestly feel like this podcast is... Um, like legitimate ministry, you know. Um, so I'm I'm glad that we got this mobile podcast set up because um, this is legit, dude. I'm stoked to be doing this. Yeah. Righteous. No, yeah. That uh, last couple things we got. I didn't forward you the last email we got, right? I haven't seen an email for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You've been holding but out the, on us, man. Uh, well, it was today, I think, or yesterday. I got it, but. There's certainly the note was um, a wow situation. Oh, man. Yeah, holy smokes. I almost thought about tweeting the image of the letter, but I felt like, even though it was anonymous, to kind of keep it anonymous. Well, yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's good, but, I mean, can we give, I mean, because we don't know who it is, so just give them a shout-out and, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, whoever, hopefully, the letter with, did they send us some bourbon? Is that right? Yeah, I'm actually drinking some right now. What type of bourbon Dude, is it? Dude, awesome. Nice. awesome. It's Knob Creek. Oh, excellent choice. Knob excellent Creek, choice. Good. No, seriously, whoever whoever that was, thank you. I was I was like almost moved to tears um reading the the letter and just yeah, if you by chance are hearing this, just wanted to encourage you that God loves you right where you're you're at and it's it honestly that was I 
really never been more honored in my life to have like just been involved in something um, like that because it was so obvious, you know, God's grace working through something that, you know, we've done through a friendship. And so um, anyway, that's my shout out. If you guys want to say anything. Well, he or she did ask for us to like talk more about ourselves, sure. which yeah, um, that's my favorite topic is myself. So, but they were wondering about uh, you, especially uh, you specifically, Mike, because you had mentioned going to chaplain school for the military, and they were like, "Well, what's the deal? Are you a military chaplain?" I guess that's a single word answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> So now that we've fulfilled that obligation, let's move on. Uh, no, yeah, and I, I, yeah, I do remember reading that they wanted to hear about the military chaplaincy, but I think they also wanted, just in general, to for us to just give a little bit more of our background information. Um, so I, I'd like to do that if if y'all would like to do that as well. Fire away, Matt. Fire away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so when I came out of high school, I was actually um, not really interested in school per se, academics or class in general. I could barely read. <laughs> no, I still just, can barely read. Still can barely read. Sometimes, sometimes I get it. Sometimes I don't. I don't know. It depends. Um, but, but side note: one of my favorite pastimes from our four years in seminary together has been. It's only happened. At, a handful of times, but it is amazing when like just by chance I get to tell you about an assignment that I'm like finishing up that's <laughs> due like the next day and your face, man, because you have completely, you have no recollection that this assignment ever existed, let alone is due the next day. <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of my favorite memories of seminary so far. So thank you. Yeah, I think they're, they're probably, it's probably been one hand, maybe two. But they're good moments they for are. you, and I'm glad that mm-hmm. you enjoy Absolutely. that. Actually, I think your enjoyment of it helps me to bear it a little bit better, because <laughs> deep down I'm like, sweet, sweet mama, this is bad. Um, but yeah, that's pretty. that was pretty typical in high school. Like I just didn't really focus too much on school. I was a big jock. When it comes right, back, right down to it, I was a big jock. But it, it was a Catholic school, a very Catholic community, and so I was really involved with tons of different things and um I was kind of that guy that and especially being from a big family everyone knew the Metzes and I was one of the older brothers um so I had like a sibling in almost every grade so everyone knew our family and knew me just because they knew one of my siblings but I was that guy where the teachers would be like oh Mike he's so crazy but he's a good guy you know and so I would kind of I would get away with a lot of shenanigans man I was the guy who teachers would, I had a teacher who came up to me before class one time and pulled me aside and was like, all right, Mike, I really need to teach stuff this class. So like you behave this class and then (laughs) like the next couple of classes, you can have your, you can do your thing or whatever. Like I need you to behave. Um, And I would, you know, like I remember one time I, this is super immature, but put like a fart machine in a bush (laughs) Um, one of my math teachers and was, you know, doing like remotely fart noises from a distance. So I wasn't super into school, but I knew I wanted to go to college and I was an athlete. So I started being recruited by a bunch of different schools for football and basketball and West Point started recruiting me and 
Uh, I kind of fell in love with the Army through that process and didn't end up going to West Point, but ended up uh, doing Army ROTC at the university I went to, which was Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee. And I went there and played basketball for three years, two and a half, three years, and was doing ROTC the whole time. And kind of the same, like wasn't school was not number one priority, um, which is not a good thing. I do not say that as, as a good thing. Um, but I was there to play basketball, and ROTC really grew as a love. So um, family kept me very stable throughout that time in college, and uh, kind of did my own thing, to be honest. The church and my family, really, th- those are my two families. They kept me grounded while I was in school, especially my freshman and sophomore year, you know, you're meeting new people and you kind of have this new sense of freedom. And so I was off, you know, partying and yucking it up with the big, the big crowd and the, the jocks and the athletes and things like that. And, and then I would go and hang out with my ROTC friends and we'd have a good time. Um, and to be honest, it just kind of got to be the same old routine and was, um, kind of got sick of it. You know, you just do, do the same thing over and over. Um, and the world can only offer you so much. And thanks be to God, I, I always went to Mass on Sundays and uh, was going to confession all the time and just repeating the same sins. But the sacraments really kept me close. Um, and so then in between my junior and senior year, discerned, um, was actually on a, on a training exercise. And Tell that story, will you? Where where I heard my vocation, my call? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I went up there, I actually wanted to branch. My plan was to branch infantry, and I had been to airborne school a little bit earlier and actually did training for a summer up at West Point. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to be special forces, still want to, um, so hopefully that will work out in God's great plan. Um, but during this training exercise, was up there for <clears throat> a month in Washington, uh, in Fort Lewis, and you're just kind of up there, and you have no internet, no TV, no cell phone, no communication with the outside world, and uh, so you're just in the silence of the woods, and the Lord really started speaking to me, and I, I had the opportunity to go to confession out there and mass, um, and it just kind of came on my heart that, hey, maybe maybe you should look into this priesthood thing, and when I... Wasn't there like a... Wasn't there like a tent that had a chapel and a mass going on or something? You just ruined my like. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so that was it. I mean, one night I was coming back from dinner, and it was a random Tuesday night, and walked by a tent and heard somebody preaching, and walked into the tent, and there was a priest and like a couple of guys in there going to mass, um, which I guess they had missed Sunday mass because they were out like out in the woods doing training. And so this this priest came in on a Tuesday, and I walk in in the middle of this homily, and he's talking about the need for military chaplains. And I had no clue there was such a thing as archdiocese for the military or anything like that. So it kind of hit uh, hit a chord in my heart, and I came up and talked to him afterwards and um, just kind of asked him to give me his pitch. And it turned out he was the national recruiter for vocations um, for the archdiocese for the military. So I started praying about it big time, and I would say really the money moment, um, yeah, and I this is kind of what I say in a lot of my talk, when I just talk about my vocation story is um, the idea of love at first sight really 
really struck me as being true um, because I had no clue about this priesthood thing, didn't know it was there. And um, God really used beauty to draw me into a life that I hadn't really considered before and showed me the beauty of it before he actually invited me to it. Um, and so it's like when you see your wife for the first time, you've never met her before, and that love at first sight, you realize you had a cord in your heart that had never been plucked until this very moment. You didn't even know it was there. And that was my experience. Went out on uh, Sunday, and there's a priest out there celebrating Mass, and he had some MRE boxes with like an altar cloth draped over them. And it was probably five in the afternoon, something like that. And we were on the base and he was celebrating mass. The sun was setting in the background. Um, no joke, like all around the base, there's bombs going off and like you can hear machine guns and this is all training environment. So they're like attacking our simulated attacking our base. And I'm going up to receive communion with an RPG strapped to my back. I have an M16 in my hands and haven't showered in like a week. And the sun is setting in the background and this priest is in like a camouflage <laughs> chasuble or stole. And dude. I was like, this is so insane, dude. <laughs> and you can hear machine guns going off in the background, like bombs and no joke. There was like vans or cars that would pull up every once in a while and like guys would jump out and attack people at our base. <laughs> it's like, this is all going on during Mass. And it was just the realization of, like, the Lord, He's meeting me out here. And the the sense of beauty and love and desire that I felt, I had no clue was there. It was all plucked in an instant because of this experience of beauty that I had. And that was really, I think, what initially won me was this is something I could do for the rest of my life, and I would be totally happy and totally fulfilled. Um, so, of course, I struggled with it for a little bit um, and actually didn't really fully agree to it till the very end of the training and came home and had to talk to... What 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 led you to fully agree to it? Wasn't there that death march thing? Yeah, there was a death march thing. and uh, Oh, that story, dude. All right. All right. I don't know, like, how much, like, how much detail... Do, do you think I should go into that much detail? I think that Death March story should be on the podcast okay. at some point. Yeah, no, okay. It is a it it was a special story. Yeah. So I was I was really wrestling with it after this point. And I had a girlfriend also back home, which have I told you about her, oh, Rob? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Have I told you about her father? Yes, that just that she was awesome and everything. Mm, this is a different well, she was, <laughs> but this is uh so maybe I'll maybe I'll get to that as well. But um so I had a girlfriend at the time. It was a Protestant girl back home, and we had been dating for a little bit. And so, like, this was honestly coming out of nowhere, uh, this priesthood deal. So I'm, like, really wrestling with it after this experience of beauty during Mass. And we had to do this big march. It was, like, an eight-mile ruck march. And so you have all your equipment. And because I'm tall, like, people just assume that I'm strong, which I am. <laughs> Don't get me wrong here. I am. Um <laughs> So they give me this huge radio. It's like a Vietnam-era radio. It's called the Singar Radio. And no joke, it's like lead. And so this thing is like 70 pounds. So they strap it to my rucksack. And I'm like, all right, I'll take it. But we have to like pass it as we do the ruck march. Um, and so we're we're just walking. And you're in silence. And like bad guys will jump out and attack you occasionally. So you're supposed to... Is this in at nighttime? No, no, this is during the day. This is actually really okay. early in the morning. Yeah, so it's like combat formation, and you have the right distance so that if somebody throws a grenade, it only kills one of you. And 
when people attack, you have the right line of fire so you don't like shoot your own guys and things like that. So uh, I'm like, this is really boring. Um, this is also really painful because I got all this weight on my back. So I just started praying a rosary and decided somewhere in the middle that I wasn't going to give up the rucksack until I finished the rosary and was praying the Sorrowful Mysteries and um, just kind of began to contemplate the Sorrowful Mysteries while I was doing this ruck march with this really a lot of weight on my back, um, immense pain on my shoulders, and contemplating priesthood simultaneously. And um, just as we progressed and a little bit further and further, there was just this conversation, more like an argument, I would say, going on in my head of not wanting to do this, like just resisting this invitation from God and him showing me the beauty and really inviting me to walk with him as a priest of Jesus Christ to be in persona Christi. So it was like a very real physical experience of contemplating the way of the cross. Like I can remember the fourth station, contemplating Jesus walking with the cross, me walking with this rucksack on my back, like feeling the straps in my you know, in my traps and feeling a lot of the pain. And when I finished the rosary, um, I literally collapsed on the side of the road just to kind of shrug the rucksack off and um, was just like an incredibly exhausted and finally submitted at that point and said, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I, I will do this. I will accept this invitation and I want to be a priest of Jesus Christ. And it, it was such a real experience of, God speaking to me of me actually meeting him as a person. Um, I honestly have never doubted that moment, which is so huge to be able to go back to your call and to have those, those foundational moments where it's infinite grace because you know, that place is where God came and met you exactly where you were in my shenanigans in college, in my (laughs) buffoonery, you know, doing whatever God came down and called me to a vocation to the priesthood of all things, you know, and it just took him a little summer of silence where I was actually able to listen, where I didn't have all this noise, TV, computers, and all that stuff to distract me. Um, so, yeah, then I I really haven't doubted my vocation since that and have gone back to that moment laying on the ground and that walk with the rosary um, many, 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 many times. And hopefully I, I will. Hopefully I always will go back there. Um, because that original call, I think, is a very special thing. Um, and even now, like when I went back for training two summers ago to do trap chaplain training at Fort Jackson. You still there? Matt? Relax. Dude, I cannot believe that just happened. That's unreal, man. The one time you're recording it from another computer. Yeah, so I, what did I, I left off? Oh, yeah, so even, even when... Um, this is dope. We can pick up right where we left yeah, off. Yeah, that's amazing. Dude. Holy smokes. God is good, man. Yep. yep. <laughs> wow, that's insane. I, I honestly can't believe that. The one time we're recording on your stupid thing you bought, whatever, and not on my computer, <laughs> my computer crashes. That's insane, dude. Um, But I digress. So I was saying when, uh, yeah, so even when I went back to chaplain school two summers ago, um. When we would do our ruck marches, whip out that rosary and pray in that rosary as I'm marching, it's it's an unreal grace to go back to that experience, both physically. I mean, it just it speaks to the reality that we are 
body and soul. And when I'm physically doing these activities that I have that experience of God with, um, it it makes it so real. It makes that reality, that relationship present. And uh, so it, it, it was a huge blessing. Um, but once I got back home, I, I remember I told my dad, I told him on the drive home, because I hadn't seen him in a long time, you know, it had been over a month. And um, I said, well, hey, dad, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I have two things to tell you that I'm going to do. These are big <laughs> life decisions. Uh, the first one is I am going to get four giant tattoos, <laughs> which for some reason I wanted to get huge, ridiculous tattoos. And of what? Um, it's too complicated, man. <laughs> I was going to get a big M on my right inside bicep, a oh, big E so on my, <laughs> Dude, this is for real. Honestly, you were honestly going to get this, this is, I was very, nah, I wouldn't say very close to doing this, but big E on the inside of my right bicep, big, I'm sorry, big M and then a big E on my right pec. Um, and it would say, 11 for my 11 brothers and sisters and then a cross like a big t on my left peck and then on my left inside bicep do a z in front of an american flag <laughs> and so then it would be met <laughs> oh <laughs> man that is yeah. so stupid it's so dumb dude but i'm telling you when you get in the military man like everybody has these cheesy tattoos and it's just like it's so a part of the culture. And so I get back. So I said, Dad, I'm going to get... Did you ma- just imagine yourself for one second <laughs> as, an, as an 80-year-old dude. I know. I know. And it was going to like... I, it had these oh, like gosh. religious and patriotic elements to it. So like even the M, I wanted it to be the... Um, it's like Mary. the Immaculate Heart of Mary or the Miraculous mm-hmm. Medal. Mm-hmm. It has like the Sacred Heart and I think the Immaculate Heart together. So it was totally rationalized. going to be head. like... The E was going to be like the E and the coexist sticker. No, absolutely not, dude. <laughs> I would not do that. That's too far. That's religious. Um. So yeah, so I said, Dad, I'm getting four huge tattoos, and I'm entering seminary, and I want to be a priest in the military. And he was like, "What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> I, he's like, "I don't even know what to do with that." Yeah, what can you say to that? Like, well, sounds like you had a good summer. I guess <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I ended up not getting the tattoos and ended up entering seminary. So that was really a best case scenario on, uh, on all fronts there. (laughs) But what I did have to do was I went back and have I told you the story father about breaking up with this girl, this Protestant girl? Mm -mm. I don't think so. She, she's an incredible girl. She really was. You know, I actually met her. At a she, she worked at a Chick-fil-A. Her dad owned the Chick-fil-A, and she was taking my order at one point. And I was with my family, so I was, like, being very myself and very outgoing, like, very comfortable. And she's this beautiful girl. And so I'm, I write my phone number down on a napkin, which I've, I never do. Like, even in bars in college, I would not do this. Write my number down on a napkin at a Chick-fil-A, and I'm sliding her my number as I'm talking to the manager Okay, and I'm like hitting on one of his employees there, whatever. So she actually calls me later and turns out to be like this, like totally sweet, just like pure girl, just very beautiful. And uh, she said, yeah, you know, the guy you were talking to was actually my dad. He's the owner of the Chick-fil-A. So I was talking to her dad and I like slid her my number, which I guess he didn't notice. And we ended up being pretty good buddies, but... 
we got pretty close and she, um, so I, I came back and I took her out to dinner, took her to a public place. Always a good idea. Any <laughs> fellas out there thinking about going to seminary, break up with your girlfriends in public places. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I, yeah. So I take her out and again, I haven't seen her in like a month. And so she's super stoked, like her soldiers coming home, all this stuff in her oh, head. And gosh. she wanted to drive me to the airport and like drop me off and say goodbye. And she, oh. she yeah, she's the sweetest girl. She like made me some CDs, like some mixtapes and gave me some pictures like hanging my locker. So I can only imagine this is like the whole movie idea of like my soldiers leaving and now he's coming back. And, you know, she had seen me in uniform a couple of times. which I think really concretized that idea of me so we come back and i'm i'm at dinner with her and uh i'm like yeah you know the summer was great how are you doing blah 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 i said you know i actually i think i know what god wants me to do in my life and she actually worked for a christian company and helped to um produce things in conjunction with bibles and about preaching notes essentially things like that so she's a great christian girl loves jesus a lot and she's like, oh, that's so great. I'm so happy. Like, you know what God wants you to do. Tell me, what it, what is it? I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I think he he's actually calling me to enter seminary. And she goes, oh, that's fantastic. This is great. I'm like, dang it, you Protestant. You don't. <laughs> oh so she didn't gosh. understand what I was saying, right? right? Because in her head, she's thinking, pastor, like married to a pastor. My husband's going to be this, you know, leader in the church, going to be a great figure. And so I'm like, well, um, you know, I'm actually, I'm yeah, Catholic. About that. I'm yeah. Catholic. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be studying to be a priest, which means I can't get married or have children or date you, <laughs> for example. And, and so I, and I kind of oh. watched her put it all together in her head and, and then, you know, it, it hit her full force and she kind of realized that I was breaking up with her to go and be a priest. And, um, and then this is, honestly, this is a 100% true story. We're from kind of a small town. Um, I, I guess that area, like, we're both relatively well-known. People from my community know the Mets family, and people know her because her dad owns this huge Chick-fil-A there and, you know, whatever. And I, I'm telling her I'm leaving her to go to seminary, and no joke, two of her friends from high school come up, and they go, Mackenzie, how are you? And they sat down, and we had dinner with them for, like, oh, 30 minutes rude. to an hour. No joke. Like, immediately this following this. Yeah. And so I'm I'm sitting there, just broke up with this girl, and these two people come out of nowhere, man. And so then I walked her back to the car, and we hadn't talked about it at all because it was, like, immediate interruption and get her in the car and just drive her back and she was she was upset obviously you know i hadn't seen her in a month and she's like you you didn't tell me any of this I'm like i didn't tell anyone any of this you know you didn't tell me you were even thinking about this like i i wasn't honestly like i i'm oh, so sorry you know I, I really can't imagine what this is like um and then you know honestly this is the worst part which uh <laughs> this is honestly the worst part. So like I get her to her house and honestly great family. She's an incredible girl and um I think she's actually married with with a child now. So thanks be to God. But I drop her off and I go and open up her door and let her out. Like Mackenzie, I'm so sorry, you know. Um I really didn't intend for any of this to happen. 
and just like a total, total wimp, dude. Because it's so uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. so uncomfortable and just, and just painful, really. You should just be there. Um, but at the time, I go, Mackenzie, I really didn't mean for this to happen, and if it doesn't work out, I'll give you a call. Oh, and I give her a hug, oh, and man. I got in the car, I've and I left. Part, dude. Dude. I know, I know, it's so bad. You oh, chump. It was a huge chump move. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge chump move, but um, yeah, I was a chump, you know. So it's, it kind of fit my fit my mo at the time. Um, so then finished out my senior year. And uh, then entered seminary in 2012. Um, yeah, entered for the Archdiocese of Atlanta and the Archdiocese for the military. And my family is very, very happy. Um, you know, my dad has eight sons, so what does he care losing one son to the priesthood? He's got like 50 <laughs> left. Yeah, he's his best. Yeah, dude, he knows what he's doing, man. Honestly, he knows what exactly what he's doing. Um, <laughs> you're not even. You're not even the junior. No, no, yeah. You have an older brother, right? I have an, yeah, I have an older brother. I have an older brother who is an accountant, um, great guy. All my siblings, uh, boys and girls, they're all incredible folks. And honestly, the church and my family, calling my family on weekends and being able to talk to my brothers and being able to talk to my parents um, and them just like totally always loving me and um, being there for me. Just like the church, the church was always loving me. Like I was always, I always knew exactly where to go to find God's mercy. And it was there. And so it was this great act of freedom of both God to me and then me desiring to go and receive that, which that movement was always in my heart, um, which of course God placed there, you know, he knew exactly what he was doing. Um, so those two families, those two families, 100%, um, kept me in a place where I could actually hear God's call to, to enter seminary. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, and I wasn't like so out of control and like, so just over the top, but, you know, I was certainly just doing, doing my own thing. So the shift for me, which was the most difficult was taking what I had received as a child, you know, from, from the day I could talk, you know, until leaving the house we believed in Jesus Christ and we love the Catholic church and we love the priesthood. And it was, it's in my bones, daily mass, you know, confession, priests all over, all over my school and whatever you want sacraments like Catholic dreamland, but taking what I received and making it my own, you know, that's, that was, that was the most difficult part for me was this is something that I actually want for the rest of my life and honestly, to be, it was really a desire to be happy and realizing I can actually be happiest as doing God's will. And which I know sound like if you told that to somebody, it, they would think you're crazy because for most people, God's will means not your will or God's happiness. Like doing what God wants means you're not doing what you want. The whole competitive nature of God, which is so ingrained in the modern psyche I had to get over that. And so once I realized, no, I'm actually so happy when I do God's will, um, then I'm all in for it. So the logic that convinced me was um, God is the smartest dude ever. He knows He knows everything perfectly. And he loves me more than I love myself, more than my dad loves me, more than my family loves me. And he wants what's best for me more than anyone, even more than me. So maybe I should trust him enough 
to give him everything, to listen to what he says, to do his will, because he knows what's best for me. And he actually is is willing what's best for me. So maybe I should cooperate with it instead of trying to create my own way and finding that it it's not making me happy. Finding that, uh, you know, and I was still a happy-go-lucky guy. But, you know, there was times like in college where I would watch um, like The Office when I went to bed to make sure that I didn't have to lay down, you know, and just be in silence by myself because I had this conscience. I was irking at me, you know? Oh yeah. And I would I would still I would do my night prayers and morning prayers every night and every morning. Never went to bed without doing them. Um which is so absurd. I should even remember What, what was your night prayer? My night prayer it was a night prayer that I, I learned If I die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take. No, that wasn't it. No, it was it was a little bit longer. I mean I had you know I had been doing this my whole life. And so it was honestly it was so ingrained in me. So I can remember coming back from the bars and being like 2 a.m., and me hitting the knees and saying night prayer before I went to bed every night. And then I would turn on my computer uh, and, yeah, like watch The Office or just watch anything so that I wouldn't have to lay down and allow God to speak to me from within my heart and within my conscience. Um, within <laughs> That's my, profound, man. Yeah, and so that was, um, you know, be, beginning to realize that and seeing... Like, wow, there must be a duplicity within that I'm not able to sit with myself that made me very uncomfortable. And uh, kind of once I realized that that I was actually hiding from myself with whatever distractions. Um, Especially those nighttime distractions. I, mean, I feel like that that time is an empty time. If you are living an empty life where it's like, okay, everyone's gone and and now I'm just by myself and have to somehow like be enough at peace that I can, my body can become unconscious. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that's, that's a tall order for somebody who's got a lot on their mind and their heart that's bugging them, you know? Yeah. Uh, And in reality, it's, it's ultimately a, like a form of escapism, the, the present I am not comfortable being there. Um, and so I had a lot of friends who would do the same thing or do it with, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and whatever, you know, it's, it's all the same idea is I want to be somewhere else than where I am right now. Or I, I don't want to be, um, in this place where it's just me, myself and the Lord, because that's where, that's the inescapable truth. You know, the great psalm where, um, you know, where can you where can you run from my love? You you know, climb to the mountains, climb to the heavens, I'm there. Which sounds like a great thing if you're in love with the Lord. Like, oh, God's love, I can never lose it. I can never be a- away from it. But on the flip side, um, if you are running from God's love, that is your nightmare psalm. Yeah, like, go away. <laughs> like, the hound of heaven, that's it right there. The hound of heaven. And Actually, I got a I got kind of a funny story because I well, I was on retreat a couple of weeks ago, and um, one of the contemplations I was doing was on uh, Jesus's suffering. And my spiritual director recommended that I read this thing by John Henry Newman called the I think it's called the Mental Sufferings of the of Christ and His Passion. It's just a, I don't know if it's a sermon or what, but it's it's pretty profound. And I just Googled it. And it's pretty easy to find if you guys want to look it up, but. Um, 
It took me like a half an hour to read it, but there was one part that really struck me about how, um, I mean, Newman's point is that the passion was his choice, was Jesus's, he was the most free human being to ever live, and he by no means was like forced into his, into his suffering. He chose it, and even at the, even at his last breath, he commended his spirit. He didn't have it taken from him, and so the, it was really fulfilled what he said in John that the Son of Man does not have his life taken from him, but he lays it down and he will take it up again. And um, that whole thing about um, suffering and and sin is to Newman is like, well, human beings bear sin with no problem. Like they don't think it's a big deal. We we carry it around with us and we, we kind of think to ourselves, like, how could God even be mad about this? Even these like little things that we do that kind of push him off to the side and, you know, I want to do what I want here and it's not a big deal. I'm going to say this bad thing about a person, even though I know it'll damage their reputation, but what's the big deal and blah, blah, blah. But the reality of Christ carrying our sins and him knowing fully well what sin really is, which is, a rejection of God to the point of, I mean, what he was doing was a physical, visible representation of what is spiritually and invisibly going on every time a human being sins, which is an assassination attempt on God. And um, so when we look at the cross, it is remedy for sin because it shows us what sin really is and how we all had a part in, in killing him. Because we said, even though you've come to help us, come to save us, come to heal us and make us whole, we reject you and we want you gone. Even if it's just for a little time, I don't want you here. And so the logical consequence of that is his death. And so he accepts that and he fully, he doesn't, he doesn't run away. He fully accepts it out of love for us. And so I, I stayed with that for a while on my retreat and yesterday was the exaltation of the cross. And I got up early and was thinking about a homily and I thought I'll I'll talk kind of about this stuff, you know, about you know what sin really is is it is killing God, and that's what the cross represents to us, and why we hang it around our necks and put it up in our churches and blah blah blah. Well, then I get in the church and and I'm like, oh, it's Monday. Uh, oh man, all the school kids are coming. It's our all school mass <laughs> every Monday, and so it's like pre-kindergarten to eighth grade, the entire school is in church, and I was <laughs> I'm about to drop this homily that is seriously dour, <laughs> you know, and the daily mass crowd I know can handle it, but I'm like, okay, should I adjust this? And so I kind of went with it um, and fully aware that this is kind of depressing and, and I was talking, but I mean, at the same time, I think, well, we have this cross up. Here is the dead Jesus up. It's the biggest thing in our sanctuary. It's up the highest and the kids are looking at it every day, you know, let's talk about it. And so I kind of explained it. And then at the end of the homily, um, I'm kind of just going off the cuff at this point. And I, talk, I told you the three questions that I taught all the kids in the school. So at the end of the homily, I just, out of nowhere, it just occurred to me, like, um, first I quoted a, a Father Mike Schmitz thing where uh, he said, this is my own paraphrasing of it, but I was like, you know, Jesus didn't have to go to Jerusalem. He didn't have to. He didn't have to suffer. He could have run away. He knew that they wanted to kill him, but he went anyway. What was he thinking? 
And I was like, I'll tell you what he was thinking. He was thinking about you. And and I said, do you remember the three questions I taught you? And I was looking around and like these kids were nodding and kind of smiling. And I was like, all right, I want you to say it as loud as you can. Who made you? And they're all like, God, why did he make you? Because he loves us. I was like, who taught you that? Jesus. And I just go, amen, and walked away. And I, I don't know, something about that was so encouraging to me. Like it, I didn't plan it out and it just kind of happened. And then to kind of, um, you have to imagine it a little bit, like what a bunch of four to 13 year olds sound like when they're responding to these questions in church. And there's a bunch of people there that have never heard me do that with the kids. And I've never done it with the whole school all at once. And um, I don't know, it kind of put a fine point on this, this whole thing we're talking about. Like what, what sin really is, is a rejection of that, you know, that God made us because he loves us and he doesn't want us to do anything just because he wants it, but because he knows it'll make us happy. And the reason Jesus accepted the consequence of our sin, which was our rejection of him, was because um, he wanted us to be healed. He wanted us to be whole and he knew he had to go all the way uh, for us to see it, to, for us to finally unmask like our lie that like we think that there's such a thing as life without God. That's not life. That's death, you know? Um, and I don't know, being in the parish now, like with kids around, it's, it's so much easier to teach a kid than a grown up who's kind of like, well, what's the point? You know, I don't see God, blah, blah, blah. A kid, if you ask them who made you, they're going to say God, <laughs> you know? Um, you guys still there? Still here. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is kind of weird not seeing you guys. <laughs> oh, you know, was that was thinking, weird. I really... I, I mean, okay, it's, it's I thought I'd talk for like 10 minutes and no one was listening. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, you are just kind of talking to yourself though, yeah. Oh, yes. Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, dudes... Good first try. I don't think any of this is usable, especially Mike's stuff. It was kind of boring, right? I have been sleeping the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually has been. I've been actually juice. I haven't. Time. I haven't heard you say anything. It's like you weren't even here. Oh, this has been. I didn't have anything to say, man. I enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed being along for the ride on this one. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Down.